Well, first up tonight, blame COVID. That sounds like a familiar tune, doesn't it? That's what the federal transportation minister stuck to today. Omar Al-Gabra was in the hot seat for an hour testifying remotely during a special meeting of the House of Commons Transportation Committee, looking into the causes of travel chaos at airports this summer. Lots of tough questions, very similar answers again and again. Uh, He told the committee that COVID-19 and resulting labour shortages at airports, airlines and other agencies are primarily primarily to blame for the delays. This is part of the recovery from COVID uh, public health measures that the world has witnessed over the last two years. This is not an excuse, Mr. Chair. These are the facts. All right. Uh, Al-Gabra says the government is working with its partners on tackling travel delays and that there's been progress in the past few weeks. And he even brought some numbers along to show so. Let's recognize the progress that is taking place. Let's build confidence in our sector and acknowledge that there's still work to be done. But let's not dismiss the progress that has taken place over the last few weeks, Mr. Chair. The transportation minister, or the transport minister rather, also felt it necessary to defend the ArriveCan app, saying it's not contributing to delays, despite what Conservative MPs on that committee uh, were uh, basically grilling him with. So... What to make of all of it? It sounds very rehearsed, doesn't it? Duncan Dee is a former chief operating officer at Air Canada and a member of the panel appointed to review the Canada Transportation Act in 2016. And he was nice enough to join us tonight to share his thoughts on uh, the transportation minister's testimony today. Welcome back. Thanks for your time. Thank you for having me, Ben. So, blame COVID. I mean, it sounds, it doesn't sound, it's not wrong, but it doesn't feel like it's the whole story. No, look, um, it is not wrong, and I think we have to acknowledge that there have been improvements. So the minister is right, there have been improvements. But, you know, I think that it's difficult for the minister to claim improvements that are meaningful because we've really just gone from simply atrocious to just a little bit awful. And um, the situation at Canadian airports, especially Toronto and Montreal, were so bad that they were topping the global charts for delays from June all the way through the end of July. So now in August, things are slightly better. Um, We're no longer the top two worst airports on the planet. We're somewhere in the top 10. Um, And uh, so, yeah, things are better. But, you know, Canadian travelers have been suffering through delays, disruptions, cancellations since about April. So this is a long time. The, the, the improvements, however small, are welcome, but they've been a long time coming. Yeah, and one could expect that in the fall, when travel numbers start to drop a bit again, we will see further improvements. But has there been any meaningful action here from the federal government when it comes to, I mean, I know they've been hired, there's been some hiring going on, but have they really been doing anything or is the system just sort of figuring itself out? No, Ben, I think that's a great point. I mean, have have the federal government uh, departments involved done anything meaningful? Well, not really. Um, the minister today was quite evasive about ArriveCan, um, although his deputy minister, about an hour after he um, started speaking, uh, his deputy minister uh, started talking himself and was quite revealing in terms of what the federal government knew and didn't know about ArriveCan, so there was that, and we can certainly talk about that a little bit more later. But in terms of uh, meaningful action from the federal government, unfortunately, 
they've thrown some more uh, employees at the problem at security. At the same time, they've also had travelers, as people in Vancouver know uh, and in Toronto know, travelers have been advised to show up at the airport up to three hours before their flights just to avoid the long, massive security lines that they saw uh, starting in April. What what always what fascinates me about this story is not so much the impact it's had on airports because it, you know that's been happening everywhere uh, in a lot of jurisdictions. We saw it in England, we saw it in the U.S. Um, it's how it's handled is the interesting thing. It's how does your how does your federal government how is it seen to be handling a crisis? And this is in many ways a very visible crisis. And I guess it's, I'm just always a bit surprised that the transportation minister will be rolled out and speak in a way that doesn't really sound all that. Genuine. I mean, I know that's maybe unfair, but to just blame COVID and say, well, you know, everyone's having problems and we saw this through the economy. It feels like there's a lot more going on here that more could have been done beforehand to anticipate a surge in travel once restrictions were lifted. Ben, I think you're right, but it seems to be uh, the government's playbook. If you ask them about passports, they're also going to blame COVID. So, you know, in terms of the problems that we're facing at the passport office, at the airports, uh, for pilots who are waiting to get their medical clearances from Transport Canada, which are about a year delayed, for a whole host of other federal services, it just seems to be that COVID is the number one excuse that ministers keep on uh, coming up with. But the the difficulty we're facing here is, as you said, um, you know, travel is going to get sorted out absolutely because of the calendar. So on the day after Labor Day, things are just going to magically sort themselves out. But, you know, the next peak travel period is just around the corner. We're 117 days today from the start of the Christmas travel peak. And I'm sure listeners don't want to spend their Christmas dinner uh, somewhere at at an airport stuck somewhere and uh, postponing Christmas dinner to Boxing Day. So, you know, these are issues that have to be resolved definitively through real action and not these false victory laps that the federal government seems to want to continue going around and around with. Do you have any faith, seeing what, you, seeing what you're seeing, knowing what you know, do you have any faith that by the time uh, the Christmas, 117 days, wow, that's, that's coming up quick, um, that they'll have it sorted by the time airports are packed again? And keep in mind, of course, Christmas travel is even more fraught and uh, on tighter schedules than, than holiday, summer holiday travel, right? Oh, you're absolutely right. It's more fraught. It's a tighter schedule. No one wants to move Christmas Day or New Year's Day because those are what people count on in terms of their family celebrations. And, you know, the one thing that we also don't have to contend with during the summer travel peak that we will absolutely have to contend with during the Christmas travel peak is snow. And so, you know, these are things that um, uh, are already making Christmas travel challenging. And if the federal government doesn't sort things out by then, in the next 117 days, then we'll face the exact same thing as we've faced over the last couple of months of the summer travel peak. The reason why I don't have a lot of faith, but I'm hoping that enough public pressure comes to bear, is that when I started asking for action on the 2nd of April, well before the summer travel peak, I actually naively believed that there would be action, that we would get some type of response from the government that they're on top of things. And all of the predicted upheaval, delays, cancellations, disruptions actually transpired almost to the day 
when they were predicted, uh, you know, well before the summer travel peak started. So hopefully now he's got 117 days left before the Christmas travel peak starts. That should be plenty of time to learn the lessons of the last couple of months and probably put things into place that will help travelers get to where they need to get to in time for Christmas. I am aware that uh, several border communities have been flagging this as, a, as an issue, and we will continue to work with them on ensuring how we can increase the facilitation of, of international arrivals. But let me just state this. At airports, international arrivals currently at 99.5% compliance rates. That is almost 100%. There is no evidence whatsoever that a ride can is causing any problems. Transport Minister Omar Al-Gabra there. Duncan D is with me this half hour. He's a former chief operating officer at Air Canada. We've been talking about uh, the minister's testimony today at a special meeting of the House of Commons Transport Committee looking into airport delays and border delays in general. Obviously, the Arrive Can app came up, no, as one would expect. And that was his answer. Uh, uh, Duncan, you said later his deputy minister added a bit more to that, but that's a pretty staunch defense of something that certainly has reason to be at least criticized to some extent. Look, it's something which uh, the Customs Employee Border uh, Services Union have uh, come out and dispelled. They say that between 30 and 40 percent of travelers arriving at the borders don't have the arrive can app completed or completed correctly and that border services agents are acting as IT help desks for these people. So in terms of the 99.5% compliance that the minister keeps on repeating day in and day out, he seems to forget that to get to that 99.5% compliance, border services agents are acting as uh, tutors for people who can't get the app completed. That's one thing. Uh, The other thing is... um, the Deputy Minister of Transport, who appeared about an hour after the minister did, talked about how a interdepartmental and industry joint committee was formed just to address the number of travelers who are arriving at the airports, causing what he called clogging at the uh, customs halls and resulting in flight delays, flights being held off gate. And so he finally, I think he's the first senior official of the federal government to acknowledge that ArriveCan, in fact, was causing all sorts of trouble at the customs halls at the airports. Now, the difference between the airports and the uh, land borders is that they don't, there isn't an industry involved like the airline industry on the land border. So you don't have airline employees before departure helping people complete their ArriveCan app, verifying that they have the app completed. And so the the long lines we're seeing at border crossings right across the country at the land border um, still hasn't been addressed. So border city mayors are right to be asking the federal government to, to figure things out on the Arrive Can app side as well. And the minister, once again, we've been hearing this now for, for a while, the minister again suggested that the Arrive Can app isn't going anywhere, that in fact it's here to stay in some way, shape or form. Right, and we're not really quite sure why or how. And the, the fact of the matter is with the Arrive Can app, I, I think, uh, Ben, for, for travelers like you and me, you know, folks who travel regularly, folks who know what to do, it's not really an issue. The problem with the Arrive Can app is for those travelers who 
don't, aren't very experienced, perhaps aren't very tech savvy, and don't speak one of the three languages that the ArriveCan app is available in. So imagine someone who doesn't speak English, French, or Spanish completing an app asking all sorts of personal medical questions. So no wonder you end up in a situation where they're either not completed correctly or not completed at all. And there are obviously enough travelers who aren't completing it correctly or at all that they've had to form this interdepartmental industry committee to solve the problem. And so I think the federal government really needs to start being honest about the issues surrounding ArriveCan, especially since they're now talking about making it permanent. I mean, you know, it's not so much the app, but the fact that it's uh, mandatory to complete for people to enter the country. And the threat of non-completion is a $5,000 fine. Yeah, I noticed today that there haven't been many, many uh, tickets, uh, according to the testimony at the committee as well, though, that there that has not been used as much. Uh, there hasn't been much stick, just uh, just lots of people helping out, helping people out, basically. Um, it doesn't sound like it's tenable. I mean, how much I don't think there will ever be a time where 100 percent of passengers are comfortable using that app. I mean, you talk about who flies in and out of this country, right? Well, I mean, I can't imagine, unless the government makes changes to it, that it's going to be ever 100%. But, you know, it's not even just 100% compliance that they're looking for. It's people who, um, uh, that 100% of people uh, complete the app, but complete it correctly. Because, you know, the questions on the app you know, may not seem tricky to most travelers, but to some travelers, it asks things like, you know, where do you plan to quarantine? Well, you know, somebody who doesn't live in Canada, who doesn't have a residence here, when you're, when you ask them where they plan to quarantine, that isn't necessarily something that they would even know. If they're planning on being on a tour, for example, where they're moving from place to place, what address are they going to be putting down? You know, it's, it's really uh, something which is not intuitive to many travelers or sensitive to the travel needs of tourists, for example, or folks who are here not for the things that you and I would travel for, where you, you and I would know what to do. So, you know, the federal government just has, has to be a little bit more flexible in how this is rolled out so that the Canadian travel and tourism sector isn't further damaged. Duncan D., thank you so much. Once again, have a great weekend. Thank you. Enjoy the PNE.